busy. Maybe I'll have you out of here by dinner. So, no, we honor your, your busy day, and uh, I just want uh, just a few minutes of your time. I know some of you have come in late, and you're still eating this fabulous lunch. But I'm going to ask you while you are eating to please listen to what I have to say. I've come a long way to share my family with you, and I want all of us, uh, ladies and gentlemen, to leave here in the next 40, 45 minutes. I want all of us to leave here grateful that we spent our time a few minutes together. So please uh, lend me an ear as you finish that lunch. As Randy mentioned, uh, I am the great-grandson of the founder of this fabulous brewery up the road a bit in Golden, Colorado. And to lay a little history for you to begin my time, the Adolph Coors Company, located in Golden, just a few miles up the road, has grown today in one of the largest breweries in this entire world. It was really a dream in my great-grandfather's heart when he was a young boy in his native Germany, men and women. Lost, uh, he lost both of his parents when he was just 15. And in his native Germany, he was trained to brew beer. And in 1868, with just seven pennies to his name, not able to speak a lick of English, one day in 1868, he stowed away aboard a steamer headed for this great country of ours with a dream in his heart. And in 1873, along with a business partner in a small mining town called Golden, they started a little brewery in the spring of 1873. Adolf Coors put up the brewing know-how and Jacob Schuler put up the money. And in 1873, they began their little brewery. And seven years after that fledgling little brewery began, to be exact, May 1st, 1880, Adolf Coors I bought his business partner out and formed what is now known all over this world as the Coors Brewing Company. Truly one of the great success stories in the history of American industry, men and women. But in 1929, something happened that I'm not very proud of, but I need to mention it for a very succinct reason. Prohibition hit the state of Colorado in 1914, and in 1929, we all remember what happened to the stock market. And while on vacation in Virginia Beach, Virginia, in the summer of uh, 1929, with the weight of that brewery on his mind, with monumental corporate problems facing him, seeing his business that he'd put his heart and life into, men and women, he saw that business slipping through his fingers. And in 1929, in Virginia Beach, one evening, he fell to his death from a six-story hotel window. Suicide, most likely. Ladies and gentlemen, if you hear nothing else from me today, I hope...
hopefully you hear a lot from my heart this afternoon. My grand great grandfather was a brilliant man, but he made a mistake that I need to share with you this afternoon, young woman. I know who I'm talking to. Oh, I don't know your name, but I know who I'm talking to. You're a very successful people. I can tell Ladies and gentlemen, we are not what we do from eight to five. You are not your career. Your career can leave you in a viewer's second. Mercury can take that job away from you in a second. Health can take that career away from you. Whatever. Take our career from us. We better have a foundation far deeper than what we do from this to five. My great grandfather didn't know that. He put his life into this pleasant little brewery and he couldn't handle the pressure that was coming in on him. I'm just going to tell him that. My great-grandfather died in 1929. My grandfather took over the business. And just by sheer German determination, brought that business out of the depression, brought that business out of prohibition, and grew up in one of the largest breweries in this entire world on his death in 1970. Fifty-six years ago, I was born into this family. Not only a successful family, but a very loving and a very close-knit family. May I suggest the Coors family is really a lot like your family. But can I suggest something to us all this afternoon, men and women? What good is it going to be if we gain the whole world, but in the process of gaining the world, we end up losing our souls? I want you to think about that very hard this afternoon. C.S. Lewis, one of this century's most gifted Christian writers, tells you and me the following. Listen carefully. He says, if you live for the next world, you'll get this one in the deal. But he says, if you live only for this world, you're going to end up losing them both. Profound words. You're very successful people. You are to be respected. I admire you. I am in awe of you. But 3,000 years ago, one of the most successful, if not the most successful businessman who has ever lived, said something very profound. Listen to what the psalmist David said 3,000 years ago. He said, ladies and gentlemen, our days are very few and they're very brief. He compares our life with the grasses of the field, the flowers of the field. And he says they're blown by the wind and they're gone forever. What's David telling you and me 3,000 years later? He's saying, men and women, this life that we're living, these few short years in regards to eternity... It's nothing but a training ground. We're here, ladies and gentlemen, this is nothing but a training ground for where we spend eternity. I want you to think about that. 
These few short years are nothing but a training ground. Traveling through a a cemetery outside the town of London, England one day, I was stopped dead in my tracks when I read a grave marker which said this. This grave marker said she died for want of things. She died for want of things, and I turned to my right. I saw another grave marker, presumably that of her husband. This grave marker said he died trying to give them to her. (laughs) She died for want of things, and he died trying to give them to her. Is that your life today? That was my life for 31 years. You know, to most people, life consists of a materialistic of only. If only I could get that raise, I would be happy. If only I could get that better paying job, that's going to make me happy. I've got this car that I want. I've got this Lexus I want to buy. That's going to make me happy. This BMW, this convertible. Boy, that's going to, that's going to make me happy. There's a cute girl in the office. Boy, I tell you, she's going to really make me happy. Think so? Do you really think so? Growing up in the Coors family, men and women, I was enamored by successful families. Jack, you mentioned that you knew my dad and and a lot of very, very famous people in, in, in the city of Denver. Jack has been a family friend for many years. And uh, Jack, you mentioned that you knew a lot of very successful people as well as I did. But one day I came across a quote by John D. Rockefeller Sr., You ever heard of John D. Rockefeller Sr.? Worth billions. Listen to what he said just before he died. He said, I've made billions. But he said, not one of these dollars has brought me any happiness. Interesting. Henry Ford Sr. cries out just before he dies. He said, you know, he said, I was happier when I was a mechanic. The chairman of the board of the largest automobile company in the world says he was happier when he was a mechanic. Vanderbilt cries out just before he dies. He says the care of 200 million is enough to kill anyone. 200 million is enough to kill anyone. Men and women, let me ask you a question. Why could these obviously successful people say that? Well, can I give you just a small hint? When we're brought brought into this world by our Creator in Heaven, whether you choose to recognize Him or not, He brings us into this world, batteries not included. Now, what do I mean by that? Ladies and gentlemen, when we're born into this world, we have a vacuum right here in our hearts. And this vacuum cannot be filled by any created thing. I'll elaborate on that in just a few minutes. Fifty-six years ago, I was born into this family, surrounded by two older sisters, two young, a younger brother, and two fabulous parents. Adolf Coors III, my father, was a man that uh, I have never met an equal in my 56 years of life. Not only was my dad the chairman of the board of the Adolf Coors Company, he was a fabulous, fabulous athlete. 
He played semi-pro baseball. He was a marvelous skier. He was an architect. He was an engineer. He was a cattle rancher. He flew his own airplane. He was one of these guys that everything he did, guys, he did it to perfection. And in a sense, my father, Adolf Coors III, was my God. I worshiped that guy. Who are you worshiping this afternoon, ladies and gentlemen? Who is your God this afternoon? I want you to think about that. Who's your God? Not only was I blessed with a great dad, I was blessed with a beautiful mom. Tremendously talented lady. A gifted pianist. and Great, great mom. Had a wonderful family. But men and women, for each of us, life brings many changes. Some of these changes come very gradual, but some of these changes come very quickly. Some of these changes bring us a lot of joy and happiness, but then again, some of these changes can bring us a lot of pain, a lot of suffering. Men and women, we take for granted the things that we should be giving thanks for every day. Every day. The morning of February 9th, 1960, a typical February morning in Colorado, you know them well. They're very cold and they could be very bitter and in that particular day it was snowing hard. My father left our home in Morrison, Colorado to begin a journey that he had taken hundreds of times before from our ranch in Morrison, Colorado to the brewery about 12 miles away. I remember my father leaving home that morning, it was a little bit before 8, and he got into his automobile and he went down this dirt road. And about three miles from home on that February morning in 1960, 40 years ago, he stopped his automobile just outside of the town of Morrison. You know where Morrison is? You see there was a car that was blocking this tiny little bridge. At the other end, my father couldn't get by him, so he walked over to this man's car. As my father approached this man's car February 9th, 1960, about 8 o'clock in the morning, he didn't realize what was about to happen to him. In that automobile was a man who had escaped from prison in 1955, serving a life sentence for murder. His name was Joseph Corbett. My father was kidnapped that morning. I got home from school that afternoon and there were men on horseback circling the fields. My father owned a ranch in Morrison, circling the fields and police cars lining both sides of the driveway. We walked up into our home. Mom greeted us that, that afternoon with tears coming out of her eyes about the complexion of the tablecloth here, sheet white, and she uttered the words, your dad was kidnapped this morning, I don't think you're going to see him alive again. And my beautiful mother, just 44 years of age, collapsed on the floor in front of us. Jackie knew mom pretty well. The FBI was immediately called in, gentlemen, and the FBI began searching for the person or persons who perpetrated this crime. career man and woman tonight or this afternoon I want you to think about something 
at the other end of life, there's not going to be enough compensation. There's not going to be enough stocks and bonds in our portfolio. There's not going to be enough boats and toys lining our driveway to compensate for the loss of our family. There just simply isn't going to be enough. Permit, permit me to ask you an important question now, ladies and gentlemen. What are you losing with all of this gaining? What are we losing with all of this gaining that we have here today? What are we losing? For seven long months after my father was kidnapped that February morning, uh, we didn't know whether he was alive or dead. Ladies and gentlemen, life doesn't shout. Life just runs out sooner than we think. Seven months after he was kidnapped, just outside of the town of Salida, Sedalia, you know where Sedalia is, just a few miles up the road here. A hunter was crossing a field one afternoon looking for a place to shoot some targets and he came across a pile of bones. That was all that remained of my dad, a pile of bones in a garbage dump outside town of Sedalia, just a few miles up there. When the news of my father's murder hit my family, I watched my mother, just 44 years of age, change before my very eyes. She was a radiantly beautiful, beautiful woman. But I saw my mother and I saw my sisters and I saw my brother and I saw myself begin to consume with hatred. Ladies and gentlemen, hate will kill us. Hate will destroy us. And then to deaden the pain of the loss of her husband, my father, my mom began to drink excessively to deaden the pain. Alcohol, many women will kill us. Alcohol will destroy us. I graduated from high school not long after my father was murdered. I wanted to become an attorney, so at the age of 17, Randy, I was accepted in one of the best law schools in the state of Georgia to begin my four years of pre-law. But men and women, there's something about southern girls. (laughs) And I walked onto this campus... Instead of majoring in pre-law my freshman year, I majored in the Greek system at this beautiful university. I majored in sorority, minored in fraternity. (laughs) At the end of my freshman year with a .6 grade average. Some people are saying, .6, what's that? Men and women, point six is on the underside of a D looking up. (laughs) I was like the young man in college who called home one day and said he'd flunked an important test, but he'd gotten a high F. (laughs) I returned home that summer, a failure in my family's eyes, Jack, a failure in my family's eyes. Passing through town that summer was a cousin of on my mom's side who was a colonel in the United States Marine Corps. This guy ate nails for breakfast. A burr haircut, 240 pounds. Typical Marine, he sat me down one day and he said, your mom and I have been talking. 
I said, uh-oh. <laughs> he said, you know, we, uh, we think maybe a, uh, a stint in the Marines might do you a bit of good, boy. <laughs> and I said, uh, oh, really? <laughs> and uh, a few short months later, it was a Friday evening, I'll never forget it as long as I live. I was traveling to the state of California on a jet Friday night, walked off that airliner, wasn't greeted by friends. I wasn't greeted by relatives. Waiting for me at the bottom of that plane were five of the ugliest men I've ever seen. <laughs> I mean, these guys were big. I mean, huge. And they didn't introduce themselves. They just literally grabbed me by the nap of my neck. I mean, literally, and threw me in the back of a pickup truck in the parking lot of the San Diego airport. You know what's in San Diego? The Marine Corps Recruit Training Depot. I signed up for six years as a Marine. Adolf Coors, the Marine Corps. Think about that. Men and women, I was in boot camp 30 seconds. And I made a decision I was going to die in this place if I didn't get pretty tough very quickly. There were, there were five loving drill instructors who were going to kill me if they get away with it. I mean, literally, men were dying in boot camp back 35, 40 years ago. They were dying in boot camp. Well, over the next six years, as a United States Marine, my body weight went from 195 pounds to 272 pounds. I'm 210 today. 60 pounds heavier, 20-inch biceps, 21-inch neck, 54-inch chest. To fill the void in my heart, I began to get involved in the martial arts. You see, if I could get tough enough, big enough, you could never hurt me again. I didn't want to get hurt again. So I hid behind this tough, macho marine image for the next six, seven years. But can I suggest something to you this afternoon? We wouldn't worry so much about what other people think of us if we know how seldomly they do. <laughs> Isn't that right, Randy? We wouldn't worry so much. I made it through six years as a Marine, gained rank very quickly, and I was full of pride, full of ego. Would have taken your head off at the neck had you looked at me cross. I was so full of anger, so full of pride. Just before I was discharged, I got a call from my mother one Wednesday morning. I was packing to come home, and she said, uh, I had a nickname was Spike. She said, Spike, I've got some bad news for you. Uh, just got a call from your sister. My oldest sister, just 27 years of age, living in Illinois, had just given birth to a son six months earlier. Mom informed me that morning that my sister had gone in for a routine physical. Doctors found a little lump right here on her neck, just a little lump. So we want to biopsy that lump just to make sure everything's okay. Ladies and gentlemen, that lump was one of the most dreaded forms of cancer then known to man. 27 years of age. Are you putting your faith and trust in your good health this afternoon? Remember the words of the psalmist David. He said, our days are very few, didn't he? Thirteen months later, my sister 
at 28 years of age step from this life into the next. Gentlemen and ladies, this is not all there is. As a tree falls, so must that tree lie. And as a man lives, so must he die. And as a man dies, so must he be all through the days of eternity. Can I ask you another important question? Is your passport for eternity stamped this afternoon, men and women? Is it stamped? If you were to walk out of here this afternoon and go out into eternity, where would you spend eternity? I want you to think hard about that. I returned home that summer to marry my high school sweetheart. And walking down the aisle of Montview Presbyterian Church 33 years ago with a girl of my dreams in my right arms, I had a sick feeling in here. Had I married the wrong girl? No. But I was really doubting, ladies and gentlemen, whether BJ, my new bride, was going to be able to make me happy. Isn't that a sick attitude? Was she going to be able to make me happy? Isn't that kind of sick? Your spouse wasn't created to make you happy, men and women. Your spouse was not created to make you happy, nor was mine. You know, we're funny as human beings. We spend money we don't have to buy things we don't need in order to try to impress people we don't even like. Isn't that true? <laughs> and almost the second after we were married, my wife began to try to change me. Is that, is that hello? Does that speak to anybody? <laughs> my wife began to try to change me. Does that happen to anybody here in this room? And while she was busily trying to change me, I began to stuff into my void the creature comforts of this world. As Randy mentioned, I graduated from the University of Denver School of Business, one of the best business schools in this country, four years later, with a void you could drive a heart, a truck through, ladies and gentlemen. And upon graduation from the University of School of Denver, University of Denver School of Business, I... Uh, began to pour millions of dollars into the real estate market of Colorado. The year was 1971, building 95 condominiums in a small ski town. Have you been to Steamboat? Steamboat Springs? I was going to dominate the real estate market of Steamboat Springs at the age of 31. 95 condominium units, millions of dollars. I began to pour millions of dollars in the stock and bond markets of this world. Those were the vehicles that were going to fill my void, you see. Money became my God. Is money your God this afternoon? Are you trying to fill that void in your heart with money, success in business, toys? Well, about a year and a half later, the real estate market in these steamboat springs dried up and my commodity and stock investments turned against me and you know, it's, it's, it's funny, it's been aptly said that a fool and his money are soon parted. A fool and his money. When your outgo exceeds your income, then your upkeep becomes your downfall. Hello. Don't put your faith and trust in your investments. Men and women, please don't do that. You know, having kids is a lot like eating a half a grapefruit. No matter what you try, you always end up with a little squirt. Is that true? 
1971, August of that year, walking out of St. Joseph's Hospital, 1971, August of that year, my first son had just been born, Adolf Coors V. My pride and my joy. You can go home now and tell your friends that Coors does come in fifths. I was so excited that night when my first son was born, I, I ran to a payphone and called my wife at home, but she wasn't there. <laughs> but children, ladies and gentlemen, children are a living message we're going to send to a time we're never going to see. I beg you, as busy as you are, as important as your careers may seem to be at this present time, I beg you. Every day, spend quality time with your beautiful wife, your, your handsome husband, ladies, and your kids at home. I beg you, please do that. Not long after my first son was born, I went to work for the Adolph Coors Company, the largest single brewery in the world, 2,000 acres in Golden, Colorado. My uncles immediately put me into an extensive management training program. I had to learn that business from the ground up. Ladies and gentlemen, there were many nights when I wouldn't return home to my wife and son. There are many days that I went without sleep, hoping that if I could just attain the presidency of the Adolf Coors Company, that would fill my void. Got into my automobile to return home to my, my wife and son one morning. Hadn't slept in three days. And just about a mile from my home in Littleton, at the crest of a hill, traveling at a high rate of speed, I fell asleep at the wheel of my automobile. I was 275 pounds. An invincible Marine, or so I thought. Nobody could hurt me. Hit another car head-on at a high rate of speed. I have no recollection of that accident even today. I was in intensive care for a long period of time, two years in recovery from that accident, two years. My body weight went from 100 and 272 pounds to 168 pounds. It was during recovery from an accident that literally on my back I began to take a hard look at my life. Men and women, I was facing divorce. I had no friends. I was consumed with that brewery consumed with stuffing this void with toys and money. I began to ask myself, Adolf, who are you really? Adolf Coors, why are you here really? Adolf Coors, where are you going with the rest of your life really? I didn't have a clue. Do you know who you are really? Do you know why you're here really, men and women? Do you know where you're going really? And then a dramatic event happened in my life. One evening, during recovery from that accident. My wife and I invited one of our senior vice presidents of the Adolph Coors Company over to have dinner to meet my wife. I was working for this man. and I want him to meet my family. So we invited his beautiful bride and he to have dinner with my wife and I that evening. My father had hired this man 20 years before. He was one of our senior vice presidents. And into our dining room came this beautiful couple. Oh, we talked about beer, we talked about sports, we talked about politics for a couple of hours, and then out of left field, this couple asked my wife, BJ, and I an important question. They said, BJ and Adolph, do you know where you're going to spend eternity? 
And I looked at this couple, and I was pretty cocky, and I was pretty brash, and I said, well, Lowell, uh, I'm an American. I'm certainly going to go to heaven, aren't I? Did you hear what I just said? I'm an American. I'm a good person, Lowell. I'm going to go to heaven, aren't I, when I die? He said, Adolf Coors, are you? Are you going to go to heaven when you die? Over the next five hours in our dining room, this couple began to share. I want you to listen very carefully what they shared with BJ and me that evening. They said, Adolf Coors and BJ Coors, do you realize that 2,000 years ago, God stepped out of eternity and into time? 2,000 years ago, our Creator loved you and me so much that He sent His only begotten Son, men and women, to die the most agonizing death on a real cross in a garbage dump for you and me. 2,000 years ago, God took on flesh and blood, ladies and gentlemen, a fact of history. And became a true man without sin. Lived on this world for 33 years. We know him as Jesus Christ. He lived a perfect life because you and I can't live that life. A life without sin. And then he willingly took upon himself your sin and mine and died a real death. And ag- Did you realize that crucifixion is the most agonizing death ever devised by mankind? When they... When they took him off that cross, six hours after they hung him on that cross, he didn't even resemble a man. He didn't even resemble a human being. Did you know that? And they laid him in a tomb, a fact of history. But he didn't stay in that tomb, ladies and gentlemen. Three days after they put him in that grave, he walked out of that grave, a fact of history. We talked about that for over the next five hours. and We learned that when we're born into this world, ladies and gentlemen, we're born with a sinful nature. All you have to do is be on the Valley Highway at rush hour to know that we're sinful people. Isn't that right? You've been cut off in traffic? Have you ever cut somebody off in traffic? Have you ever flipped somebody off in traffic? We're born with a sinful heart, ladies and gentlemen. And because of our pride and rebellion, our God that we created us, we cannot know His plan for our life. He had a plan for you and He has a plan for me. But because of our pride, we can't know that plan. But 2,000 years ago, He sent Jesus Christ to die for that sin in your heart and mine. God made Him, men and women who knew no sin, to become sin for you and me. So that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. A fact of history. You see, we broke the law and Jesus Christ paid the fine. It's that simple. My wife and I were getting ready to go to bed that evening and she looked at me and she said, Honey, this couple has something we don't have. And she was dead right. About three days later in our bedroom, I was asleep next to her. She began to take a hard look at her life and she realized her void wasn't good. I had millions of dollars to throw at my wife. I had all the toys that you're looking and beating your brains out today to get. I had them all, ladies and gentlemen. There's nothing wrong with these toys. Airplanes, boats. I had a home in the mountains. I could go anywhere in this world I wanted to go. Nothing wrong with these things. 
Don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with them. But they can't make us happy. My wife recognized that these millions of dollars I was throwing at her couldn't fill her void. And she, that evening in our bedroom, got down out on her hands, hands and knees in our bedroom and said, Jesus Christ, if your provision, if you are the, my provision, I want you in my heart. And ladies and gentlemen, she said that. God came into that void that she had tried to fill for 29 years and instantly changed my wife. I couldn't accept, I couldn't handle the change. My wife changed dramatically. I couldn't handle the change. I left her. Moved into a hotel in Denver called the Denver Athletic Club. Divorce was going to fill my void. I was away from my wife and my son for many long months. But while I was separated from my wife, a friend gave me a book that I recommend to every dad in this, in this room. This afternoon is called, Do Yourself a Favor, Love Your Wife. And I cried my way through that book for many months. In the pages of that book, gentlemen, I discovered what a real man is. A real man is not a macho marine. A real man is not one who brings a six-figure paycheck home to his wife and son every year. A real man is one who has his priorities in line with his Creator. The most important priority is to know the God who made us to know Him in a personal way. Made possible through Christ. The second most important priority is to love our mates. Men and women, we can't love our mates in our own strength. It's not possible for us to love our wives or our husbands in our own strength. We can't do it. But He can. Through us. And then the third most important priority is to love our kids. Spend quality time with those kids every day. And the fourth most important priority is to have true friends. Not business associates. Not hunting buddies or golfing buddies. I'm talking about a man or a woman who will attend your funeral someday and not continually be looking at this. I had none of the above. It was not long after this that recognizing my void simply was not getting filled. I said the very similar prayer that my wife had prayed in our bedroom that evening. And the void that I tried to fill for 31 years of my life was instantly filled as I said yes to Jesus Christ. And men and women, I travel all over this world sharing this message with people just like you. My life has never been the same since. I returned home to my wife and son a few short months after this. And began to put my family's priorities where they should be. Number one, a love for Jesus Christ. Number two, a love for my wife. Number three, a love for my first son, soon to be second son. And the Adolf Cruz Company was way down here, way down the list. And God began to do a miracle. And he'll do the same for you. No, I'm not here today to share religion with you. CBMC didn't invite me to come share a religion. I wouldn't bore you with a religion. I wouldn't insult you with a religion. This is not a religion, men and women. This is a relationship. You and me, sinful, prideful human beings, with a perfectly righteous, holy God who, by his own choice, reached down 2,000 years ago to pick us up out of this dung heap and to change us. It's a relationship. 
Don't miss it. It was Jesus Christ who two years later enabled me to go into Canyon City just down the road here a few miles to sit down face to face with a man who murdered my father in 1960. You see, Joseph Corbett needed to hear about Jesus Christ. No more or no less than me. I'd hated that man for 17 long years. Hate will kill us. But in 1977, as I fully comprehended what Jesus Christ did for Adolf Coors IV 2,000 years ago as he hung on that cross, sir, I came to the conclusion in 1977 I had no right to hate that man. And he'll do the same for you. I pray for that man almost every day. I love him with a supernatural love. I can't explain it any other way, men and women. And God do the same for you. If you surrender your right to hate that individual and surrender that right to hate to the Lord, He'll do it for you. I've got to close, ladies and gentlemen. But in summing up what I've shared with you this afternoon, can I just say a few more words? 2,000 years ago, ladies and gentlemen, Jesus Christ came down from heaven's glory in order to shed His precious blood for you and me. He didn't die for His own sin. He didn't know sin. But He died for your sin and mine. And He arose from the dead, as I mentioned earlier, and He is not merely an historical character, but a living person knocking on your heart this afternoon to come in and change you into the kind of people He created you to be. He's changed me for eternity. He stamped my passport 25 years ago. He wants to stamp yours. Let me ask you one more question before I turn it over to Randy for the conclusion. I want you to think hard about this as you go back to your offices and you go back to your homes this afternoon. I want you to ask one more question. Are you willing, ladies and gentlemen, to sacrifice an eternity with your Creator in heaven for a few years of questionable material gain down here? Are you willing to do that? I'm not going to promise you that if you surrender your life to Christ today, I hope you do. I'm not going to question you a trouble-free life from here on out. No. Jesus is no security against the storms of life, men and women. But He is a perfect security in the storms of life. I've had so many storms in the last 25 years, I keep you here for a week. But He doesn't promise us an easy passage, sir, but He does promise us a safe landing to those who put their faith and trust in Him. And as I turn it over to Randy, I'm going to share with you the conclusion I've reached after 56 years of intense struggle. And I just touched on a few of the things I've gone through. Life is not easy, is it? But the conclusion, men and women, is very simply this. Nothing in life really matters. 
except a love for our God, beginning with His Son, Jesus Christ. A love for our families. Nothing else will stand the scrutiny of time. None of these toys are going out with us. The Egyptians tried it. It doesn't work. None of these toys are going with us, ladies and gentlemen. None of them are. But a love for God and a love for your beautiful family, those are going to go out into eternity. That's all. And we can choose to focus in on a line that is approximately 80 years long called life. A line that's involved with earthly success. Temporal success. Or we can choose to focus in on another line. A line that lasts forever. A line involved with true success. God's success. I trust you have that today. I'll trust every one of you has it today. But if you don't, I want to close now in a very short prayer. It'll be painless. I'm going to ask that you close your eyes and bow with me now. And I'm assuming that most of you have prayed this prayer. And uh, if you have, would you please pray this prayer with me? And I close with this. Lord Jesus, I need you. And by an act of my will, this afternoon, I open the door of my heart and life, and I receive you as my Savior and Lord. I thank you for for dying for the forgiveness of all of my sin, and for offering me your righteousness and your resurrected life. I now accept by faith your gift of salvation to me. Take control of my life right here and make me into the kind of person you created me to be from eternity past. And thank you for coming into my heart and life and granting me eternal life with you in heaven as you have promised me. It's in Christ's name that I do pray. Amen. God bless you all. I'll turn it over to Randy for the conclusion.